Hey, Adam Richardson, lead pastor at Sandhurst. We are so thankful that you have joined us here on this live stream on your device, and we have prayed that it would be an encouragement and a blessing to you on your journey. If you are a part of the local Sandhurst family, would you reach out to us and let us know who you are if you're unable to visit for any period of time, because we want to maintain our connection to you and our care for you. If you're outside the local Sandhurst family, then we welcome you here. Um, at the same time, we hope this will not replace, but only supplement the care and the teaching you receive from your leaders in your church. And and if you would like to know more about starting or renewing a relationship with God through Christ, please definitely reach out to us at the number or the email below and we'll be in touch. If you enjoy this, would you please post or share this link so others can enjoy it as well. Thanks again for joining us. We trust it's an encouragement for you. Enjoy. This morning we have a, a wonderful treat. John, come on up. John Fain is going to be sharing with us from the Word and I've asked him if he would give us kind of a, a snapshot of what they're doing. Some of you have already heard this morning from John in the, in the Sunday school classes in the Sandhurst U, and then as well as teach us from the Word. And I'm looking forward to, to what we have this morning. Um, please give a warm Sandhurst welcome to John Fain. Good morning, everyone. Such a joy to be with you. Just want you to know what an honor it is for Dawn and I to be here yet again. Uh, you folks have been walking the journey with us since 1984, actually, if you can imagine that. And we are deeply grateful for the way your prayers have sustained us through the ups and downs of life. We're going to weave into this uh, stories of our family, stories of what God is doing in the world, etc. Before we do so, though, let's go to the Lord in prayer. We come before you, King of kings and Lord of lords, you who are holy in every way. We know that you are a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In your being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. We worship you this morning, Lord. We yearn to hear from you. We don't want to hear from man. We want to hear from you. So we ask that you would meet us during this time in what is said in the reports as well as what is said through your word. Have your way. Give us discerning hearts, I pray that this congregation would, as the Bereans in the book of Acts, take anything that is not of you and simply put it aside. But we cry out to you that if you have anything for us, one word, even one syllable, transform us by your might in our inner being. Fulfill your purposes in our day. Enable us to see you afresh, even in these few moments. In your precious name we pray. Amen. This morning we're talking about Christ's power and enablement to persevere in his mission in the face of suffering. That suffering takes on many different forms. It was 1996. We had left Indonesia in 1995 after nine years or so. And it was tough. God had clearly let us out. I've been doing since what I swore I would never do, which is get into leadership and that kind of stuff. Being in leadership is, a, is an honor. It's a privilege. But if anybody lusts after leadership, all I got to say is you need your head examined. <laughs> and our kids especially, Marie was only 14 months old when we had gone to Indonesia. Our two boys were born there. Christy was yet a thing of the next year or so to come into this world. And we had left everything we knew and loved. We thought God had us there for life and he had a different way I'll never forget as we took that trip back after 18 months or so, 
and took the kids down to the south coast of Java where we had enjoyed many vacations, etc., and got down in the water with them and they were weeping and weeping and weeping at the pain still fresh. And I'll never forget, I got down and I looked them in the face and I said, guys, why have we done this? <laughs> they were great theologians that day. They looked me in the eye and they said, because we love Jesus. That is what it's all about. In the midst of a fallen world full of suffering, where we don't always know how to put all the pieces together. They've come back now. God has blessed our family. Yes, we got through the years in the U.S., and thankfully he took us back to Asia. I love our nation, but Dawn and I love to be out there <laughs> in what he's asked us to do. We're back here now because Dawn is taking care of her father, and it is an honor to do so. What we are doing now is every bit as significant as anything we've ever done among the unreached. He tells us to honor our parents, and that is what we yearn to do for his glory. And so we count that in honor. But I, my rebellious heart was pretty unhappy when even that happened. Until such time as my wife got the, her, the physical, what was that, Dawn, two years ago now, in which they found the breast cancer. It was a weird time. This crazy doctor up in Lexington Medical Center, wonderful guy, by the way, <laughs> but he was a crazy doctor. All the tests came back negative. And we were so excited. And then he'd say, there's something there. <laughs> and then, I'll never forget, after two months of testing in him, every time we got around that guy, we both had PTSD. It's like, what is his problem? And yet, after two months or so, he finally called us on a Friday night as we are sitting down to dinner. Giddy, we found it. You've got cancer. <laughs> and I thought, this guy is a total nutbag. But... But did God use him? You better believe he did. You see, in obedience to God, he oftentimes do things we never expected. And in Dawn's case, he saved my wife's life. They simply would have never found it out where we were in Thailand. Great medical system there, but they wouldn't have found that one. In fact, most doctors in the States would have never found it. This guy was just the guy we needed. And God used him for his glory. So we never know all that God is doing in this life that we're called to. All we know is that he is at work. He was at work in Paul's life, and he's at work in our lives, using all that we experience to bring the Lord Jesus Christ greater glory. And oftentimes, that walk that we, we walk into includes suffering. I found it fascinating that we were, had the introduction even in the service this morning to what we're talking about now, because that's what God clearly laid on my heart as I, as I, as I sought his face. Talk about suffering. Please don't ever forget that he has a plan for you and for me. Hebrews 12.1 says that, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with endurance the race marked out for each of us. He has marked out a race for your life, and he's marked out a race for my life, and he wants us to fulfill those purposes. We're so grateful that that race is, is being accomplished in the lives of those same children that sat there in the, in, the, in the low tide or whatever there on the south coast of Java and said, because we love Jesus, they love him so much that both of them, those two, Marie and David, are back in Thailand, bringing him glory among the trafficked girls that are there and trying to speak into a situation of unspeakable cruelty. Why? Because he's worth it in every way. Luke is then in Papua, 
following on uh, the, the model of his grandfather who started a Bible school there in Papua. And there, with a transmigrant program that is bringing in Muslims all the time, he is working with the Donny Church in order to see the gospel move in that area. And we, we are thrilled that our three oldest have answered that particular call that God laid on his life. And our youngest, I think she's got the toughest one. She's a nurse here in the U.S. <laughs> and here in the U.S. is where we need to see the power of the light penetrating the darkness as God puts on display his glory in how we respond to suffering. You see, Paul understood this more than anyone else. He is the only one, when it came to his race being marked out, was told in Acts 9, 16 uh, uh, to Ananias, who would go and minister to Paul, he said, I will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. Can you imagine that? God himself saying suffering is going to dog your every step. Acts 20, 23, this is what Paul says. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. 1 Corinthians 15, 31 is my favorite. I die every day, he says. How true it is. Death to self is almost more significant than dying physically. Ephesians 1.11, this same Paul would write, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. And that everything includes every aspect of our lives, the good, the bad, the ups and the downs, the difficult and the, the tragic things. And in the global church, what I see from country to country is that the new believers are starting to learn the reality of this truth. As they study these same scriptures and as they watch the pattern of suffering in the life of Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 8, he would say that I am hard-pressed on every side. In 2 Corinthians 7, 5, he says I'm harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears from within. You see, the Apostle Paul, over a 30-plus year ministry, was under nonstop, unrelenting pressure. He was literally pressed from every direction. Some of those scholars who have exegeted these verses say that it was like a crowd pressing in or waves at the beach where you're at the beach and the waves are coming in and you can't quite get your footing and you're trying to, to bounce up and get your head above so you can breathe as another wave crashes over your head. That was the kind of pressure that the Apostle Paul lived under all the time. It was intense and it was severe physical pain. He was beaten mercilessly. He endured sleeplessness, stoned, whipped, five times receiving 40 lashes minus one. And we all know the reason for that. We've been told for years. Why did they keep it to 39? Because 40 lashes would kill most normal people. And Paul went through that five different times. He faced rabid mobs, constant travel, shipwrecked, daily physical challenges and discomforts. He had danger from every side, robbers, religious leaders, and fanatics. Some of the terrorists even took a vow that they would not eat until they had taken his life. He knew danger on the open seas, drowning in exposure. But he would say that the emotional anguish was far harder. Do you realize the Apostle Paul was hated by almost everyone who knew him? He was reviled in many contexts, stoned at times, mental turmoil though, is what he said was the hardest. He was so afraid of false teaching coming into the new churches. The fear of false teaching drove him. So what are these principles? Why am I even speaking on this? You're supposed to be a missionary. You don't talk about these things. You're supposed to tell us nice stories. I tell you this because, friends, this is the world we live in now. 
We are at a point in history where suffering is the norm. This shirt was given to me by two brothers in Cameroon just a few weeks ago. This is a very precious shirt to me now because I got to know those brothers. In that war-torn land, these men are standing strong. One of them is a pastor who, is, who has just been preaching probably about six hours ago or so, and he there in Cameroon has five kids of his own, but he's taking care of 16 children in this house, laboring on his own. He, he's the breadwinner for all of that crew. They don't have much there. Inflation is off the charts there, far worse than anything we suffer with here when we see gas prices going up. These are people who are living on the edge all the time. And I sat there and saw a winsomeness in his spirit and a desire to, to bring glory to Christ as he worked with these traumatized kids who had come out of the war-torn areas and has, he's filled his house with them. These were all orphans created by the war. You know, I forgot my money. It was a weird thing. I always try and take it just a little bit to try and help out here and there, and I'd forgotten it. Another brother took me, and we went walking to the bank, and that bank actually let me take out money without even seeing my passport. It was a miracle of seismic proportions. I went back, and I just gave the, just a little bit to this brother. I don't know what it was, but it was painfully little by our standards. I just said, brother, the Lord just wants me to give this to you. That night, he told me that he and his wife and those children had stayed up most of the day praying for me. Can you imagine? You see, the rest of the world sees all of this from a whole different perspective. Pain and suffering purifies our motives. It helps us see clearly what is truly of eternal value. That's why Paul would say, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Pain and suffering remind us that this earth is not our home. That's why he says in Colossians 3, Since then we have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you died. And your, mind, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. He promised us that we would suffer as well. Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. I believe that God is doing something deep within each of our hearts, no matter what the suffering is that any of us, any of us are a part of. And as we move into and we get to know and we hear and we understand that the global church is suffering in so many ways, we enter into their suffering. We join them in that. We cry out to, 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 to the living God to, to meet them in that. But he, they are then instructing us as well. Missions used to be from the West to the rest. Missions is now from all nations to all nations because God has raised up his global church, Africa, Asia, Latin America. It was 1910 that the, that the consultation took place in Scotland that had 90% of the representatives represented from the West because that's what, looked, that's what the church looked like at that particular point. 100 years later in 2010, it also represented exactly what the church is now. Two-thirds of those delegates who were there 100 years later were from Africa, Asia, and Latin America because that's what Christ has done. He has globalized his church and he yearns for us to walk this journey together with him. Oh, brother. Lord, I don't want to get controversial. You know, if we would just love people as believers in our country, maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, we wouldn't even have to have 
the woke conversation. <laughs> Just love them. You see, he comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He's calling on us to love with all that we have in this suffering world. You see, suffering shatters our lesser dreams so that we may embrace a greater God-given vision. I believe that's why he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, think of what I've just said to you about Paul, and he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Are you kidding me, Paul? Light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. You see, pain and suffering helps to train our hands for, for war. They remind us that we are daily in a ferocious spiritual battle. When we don't get what we want, God is reminding us of how desperately we need Christ each and every moment of every day so that the gospel would be seen all around us no matter where we are in this fallen world, whether it's in Florence or whether it's in Cameroon. Consider it pure joy, James would say, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Yes, it's a magnificent teacher. It also leads us to prayer. But for time's sake, I'm not going to get into that. I just want to take us then to an understanding of Paul's life of enduring suffering well. By the way, when I first started getting into these truths, I had been asked to speak in Egypt. This was years ago. And they said, we want you to come and we want you to talk to us about suffering. I, I wrote back, I said, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm an American living in Thailand. I got the sweet sweetest life in the world sorry to tell all you that you probably disappoint too that i you know when we had it so good in thailand but things are cheap there health care is good all is nice and they said but you need to come and show us about the you know patterns of suffering in the life of paul i said no way twice three times finally it got embarrassing because you know you, you just got to give in eventually <laughs> i said okay i'm there in this congregation this was before the Muslim Brotherhood did their, wreaked their havoc just a few years later. But you're, you're in this group with all these people from across the country, and, and they wanted me to speak, and I did. I, I just gave them pretty much what I just gave you. Yours is a summary, but it, you know, this is what it was like, the patterns of, of suffering in the life of Paul. And I got finished, and I'll never forget this Coptic priest, as he looks up and says, too heavy, too heavy. And I walked off the stage and I thought, that is absolutely true. <laughs> that was way too heavy. And I went out and I was weeping. Lord, why in the world? I told them not to have me speak on suffering. Why would the world, didn't they just listen? And I agree with that guy, by the way, Lord, this is too heavy. How, do, I mean, is this really the life that we live and, and, and we go into? You've already heard Adam talk about, no, you don't keep your eyes on that. You keep your eyes on the fact that God has overcome all of that. And that is absolutely true. But as I sat there crying, this kid, this guy comes up and sits next to me. And he says, that was incredible. And I said, what? He said, yes, that was so honest. He said, that was of God. The next day, this young guy comes up to me. You see, we had... That was the second year that we had been in Egypt and, and speaking in a conference there. And in the first year, they had, they had heard all the truths that we talk about, considering getting the gospel out. And they'd gone out into ministry, and they had, yeah, one group had gotten attacked in the Nuba Mountains. 
And as they were coming back from that Jesus film, uh, shots were firing, mortars rounds were going around. I don't know what hit him in the chest, but this, this, this young man who was in that first conference got hit in the chest. And as he was dying in his friend's arms, he said, just tell my father I died for Jesus. And he had. And his best friend came up to me the next morning. He said, I just want you to know, Brother John, that uh, I've struggled ever since his death. I couldn't even pray for about three months. It, was, it all hurt so much. But he says, when I see what the scriptures are saying that you showed us, and that our lives may be full of that kind of pain, and that Paul suffered in that way, he just said, I want you to know that it's renewed my, my vision and my understanding. He said, I'm going out into ministry now myself. I'm going to replace my friend because that's what God wants me to do. And that's what God wants us to see. Yes, it is being honest and open and real and transparent and acknowledging that life somehow hurts deeply. Paul's circumstances, when he, in Philippians chapter 1, went out into uh, that particular context because he'd been imprisoned there in, in uh, most people think it was in Rome, and I would agree with that particular perspective. And there as he was uh, lashed to these praetorian guards, he too was wrestling with his own theology, I believe. He found himself chained in prison to these guards, not just any guards, but the elite ones. These were the palace guards. These were Nero's best. They were no-nonsense soldiers chosen to guard their prisoners with competence and loyalty that they had shown to the Roman Empire. It would take great boldness for anyone to make Christ known in such a context. Can you imagine taking our, our elite forces in the military and being lashed to the best of the best, chained to them? What would you do with that time? I know what I would do. I'd be praying. I'd say, Lord, you just want me to pray, don't you? Huh. Not him. All he could do was share Christ. And his message was obviously clear, his passion impacting the soldiers so that the gospel was being discussed among the elite guards of Rome. Paul's mental state would not have been easy either. You see, he, he was awaiting a decision from Rome as to his fate there in Philippians when he wrote that, 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 that Philippians chapter 1 passage. Make no mistake at the writing of this epistle. Paul was not sure whether he would live or die in the coming days. That is why Philippians 1.20 is so very poignant. I eagerly expect and hope, he says, that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Sorry, but that makes my hair stand up. He wasn't worried about his own physical anything. All he wanted was the glory of Christ. Even fellow believers were being used by the enemy against him at that time, though. They were driven by selfish ambition, hearts full of envy and pride. They were seeking to use Paul's circumstances of being a prisoner against him. Their motivation in ministry was so tainted and full of self that they actually proclaimed Christ in a distorted desire to add afflictions to Paul's chains. It's what it says in Philippians 1.16. They interpreted Paul's present situation to be from a place of weakness and saw no way that his imprisonment could ever be an opportunity for the advance of the gospel. I wonder if most of us, I certainly would have been hard-pressed to stay faithful and true to my calling when facing such opposition both from without and even from within the church. But Paul saw it completely differently. It didn't matter the circumstances he was in. He knew that what the citizens of Rome needed more than anything else was an encounter with the living Christ. 
regardless of the opposition he faced from fellow believers and the daily realities of his imprisonment, he, even though he was in the uh, jaws of the lion, so to speak, and no matter what news he received, he held true. He just wanted one thing. He knew that that one thing was that the gospel needed to go to those who were in Rome. That had been his dream for so long, hadn't it, that you see in the book of Acts? And then he says this, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Friends, that's all that mattered to Paul. What God had commissioned him to do was being done. The gospel was being advanced. Only God and God alone can meet us in the most difficult of circumstances and declare his glory through us to a watching world. Whether it's our kids in Thailand, whether those who are in Papua, or whether our, our youngest, who I tell her all the time, who's expecting our 10th grandchild, by the way, we have told her, Christy, God has a plan for you right here. Every bit is great. And you here in Florence, here at Church at Sandhurst, your role here as Christians right here in this community is as great as any missionary call to anywhere on earth. And to think that this epistle is known in many nations as the epistle of joy. <laughs> Paul knew what God was using to deliver him from intense battle that he was in. He wanted the prayers to go forth, and he knew that they were praying for him. And he says in Philippians 1.19 that your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ is what was used then to turn out for my deliverance. He wasn't sure what his deliverance would be, whether it would be heaven or whether it would be life. In God's economy, he allowed Paul to continue in ministry, and that is wonderful. But those prayers upheld him. And I want to say to you who have prayed with us over the years, someone just came up and talked about the way they prayed for our family. Your prayers have been answered. You will never know what a gift that has been to us over the years. As you pray for missionaries, as you pray for yourselves, as you pray for these ministry opportunities that we just heard of in the local schools, as you pray for, for whatever comes about, just remember that those prayers are never in vain. Those prayers are what sustain all of us. They're what give us a, a, a heavenly perspective in the midst of the battle that we are in. Yes, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But in that wrestling, your prayers are what break through. The spirit of Jesus Christ was the authority and glorious presence empowering Paul to overcome. And these are the means available to us as well to face whatever difficulties, pain, discouragements, and persecutions we may face in our calling. Let me, let me land this plane and bring it home. I could tell you story after story about suffering in the global church, and I can also tell you about victory, about the way in which God is using the suffering of his people to draw so many unto himself at this point of history. As I said in the Sunday school classes to most everyone, I'll say it to you here, God during COVID has done his cosmic jujitsu on the enemy. He is the one that used the, 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 the posture of the enemy to kill and to destroy and to ruin people's lives around the world through that, the, the, the craziness that surrounded the entire COVID experience. He is the one that allowed his spirit to break in and to begin drawing people into himself in unprecedented numbers, in unprecedented ways. People are coming to Christ as never before. Let me tell you just one example, and then we will end this morning. 
I go to Africa a lot now, as well as to Asia. We're seeing God work in power in both parts of the world, and we're so grateful. But I was in a school that was, had students from a war-torn land, and I won't say where for security purposes. And from that war-torn land, every one of them practically, almost 100%, I think there may be a couple that came from a, like a Christian background, but all the rest were Muslim background believers. This one man caught my attention early on because um, as the translator and I, this uh, uh, young mother who was uh, really a sweet lady, as, as we heard his story the first night, he wanted to sit with us. He pulls out this piece of paper and he unfolds it and he starts showing me. Think of this in terms of what we've just said about Paul. All that matters is the advance of the gospel. And he just wanted to show me. He said, this, this is the, the strategy that God has given me. You see, he had, he had known Christ for 14 months Yet he was willing to lay his life on the line to go back into this war-torn area and to set up a youth center and to, and to uh, see people brought to Christ. He said, but it's been difficult because, you see, uh, since I came to Christ 14 months ago, I haven't seen my family for the last year because they took my family away from me. And, and, and also, my, my kids are all coming of age in that place, and it's the, this part of the world is, virtually has no government left. And he said it's like, it would be similar to what we would think of as the cartels or the mafia running everything around them. He was de desperately concerned about his children. And so we prayed with him and we talked with him and, and I, I knew he was a special guy. As we got into the, the, the teachings of the week, oftentimes I'm asked to speak on things like spiritual warfare. And as we do so, it's not having to do with demonic realm and all that. You can, guys, that's not where the real battle in spiritual warfare has to do with our hearts. <laughs> It has to do with taking thoughts captive. It has to do with remaining in holiness. It has to do with all those beautiful things. And it also, especially, has to do with forgiveness, relational forgiveness. <laughs> and we always get to that part. It's usually the third or fourth day. And sure enough, on that particular week, it was the same. And we got to that, that fourth day. And boy, did God meet us. And we were crying as, we were, as I was telling stories, as they were telling stories, as we were sharing together, as we were saying how desperately we need the power of Christ to enable us to love our enemies and for those who work against us. And then we had a break. And there in that break, there was a, uh, uh, this fellow said, can I talk to the class? And I said, yes. I'm going to bring this home very fast, friends. I'm trying to get, let you get to your lunch on time. Okay? As he addressed the class, it was horrifying to hear him tell the whole story that we hadn't heard the, other, the night previously or whatever. Yes, he had had a friend who became his worst enemy, and that man had done everything against him, ruined his business, taken away his livelihood. He had no money left. He had no family left because he was the one that turned the religious leaders against him that caused them to take away his family. And so he finishes that, and he just said this. He said, mustahil, which is Arabic for impossible. I've heard all the teaching, and I appreciate it, and I know this is the word of God, but it just feels mustahil for me. And then the whole class turns and looks at me. <laughs> and I said, brother, that man who did that to you is a monster. And Christ came for monsters like that. At which point the translator says, are you serious? He came for monsters like that. And I said, yes, he did. Go ahead and translate. And then I said, brother, we understand how hard forgiveness is. Can I pray for you? Yes, please. And I ran over and just grabbed him. And we sat there and we said, he started to pray. The whole class literally fell on us stroking your hair, patting your back, 
pray on, pray on. Others prayed as well. And we just sat there holding this brother. Got finished and he kept saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I promised him I would be praying for his family and I was. Every day the word brought him to mind. Every day I cried out to him. Two weeks later I'm in North Florida, off in the forest somewhere, when suddenly my phone starts vibrating. I didn't even have data on my phone. And I said, Mustachio. <laughs> I took the phone and looked at it. And this is what it said. How are you, my brother and my love, John? I love people who have English as a second language. They always make you feel very honored in the way they speak to you. The Lord bless you and continue with you. I thank the Lord Jesus that you were accompanying me at a moment in my life on earth, and you were a great influence for my family and children to return to me. If the worship team can go ahead and come to the front, we'll be finishing this in the next couple minutes. Friends, I've just talked a lot about the pain of suffering. All I know is that in that moment, I could not stop dancing. I'm off in the forest by myself. I'm weeping and weeping as I say to the Lord, it really is true, isn't it? (laughs) You really are alive, aren't you? You can even answer that kind of prayer. He just wrote me a couple weeks ago. He's, He's back in that nation. He's been reunited with his family because the God who knows the suffering of our hearts and the pain that we endure and all that is going on, he cares about each and every one of us and he cares about that dear brother and he's drawing people to himself. I guarantee I can't wait to go and visit him in that country if they'll let me in or if I can you know, somehow camouflage myself. But get in there and just see what he's going to do because I believe that God is going to use him powerfully. And in case you don't believe it, that lady who was translating for us, the next day she came to Jesus. Because if our God is a God who will send his son to die for monsters, is a God worth loving, a God worth following, a God worth giving our children to, a God worth trusting no matter what it is, no matter how many times we have to be separated from our loved ones, no matter what it takes, we do it for the glory of King Jesus. Father in heaven, We love you. We thank you for the way that you work. We thank you for the power of your gospel. We thank you for the reality of lives transformed. And we thank you that no matter what we face on this earth, you will be there. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Whether by life or by death, no matter what kind of things you're calling us to, please let us die as Paul did willing to die to self daily so that you might be exalted. Have your way, O God, in church at Sandhurst. Help these believers to thrive for your glory. Give them vision. Give them power. Give them an understanding of yourself. And most of all, give them intimacy with you, we pray, so that as Christ dwells within them, history would be changed in Florence for your glory. In your name we pray.